Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9, it says, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four living ones, and they fell before the throne on their faces, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and forever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Who are they? Where did they come from? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the, of, uh, the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So we have this incredible picture here. You know, I look at, and I, I think the Great Awakening. We think of the Great Awakenings in the past. We think of the number that were saved on Pentecost when Peter preached. And whatever we think of the Welsh revivals, we think of those at Fulton Street. None of them compare to this. None of them even should be in the same category of great awakening, of revival of those that are saved. And people say, look, <clears throat> you know, after the rapture of the church, can people still be saved? Well, the Holy Spirit, obviously, as we look into these things, is through in his restraining work, and all kinds of things are breaking loose on planet Earth at that point in time, but he's not through it in his saving work. You know, Jesus said, for then, in those days, shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So we have the greatest measure of tribulation that the world has ever seen, that human history has ever seen. But we have the greatest revival, the greatest awakening in the midst of that, that people have ever seen. You know, we, we look at the climate in our world today, and we had other plans as Christians. We, we, we didn't plan on the pandemic. We didn't plan on, you know, all the political intrigue. We didn't plan on globalism. We didn't plan on the economy going. But, you know, now we're kind of recalibrating and realizing, wait, 
maybe there's going to be multitudes that begin to come out of this tribulation presently that we're experiencing, which doesn't compare to this. Maybe something incredible is going to take place. We have here, he tells us, after this, it's the same as chapter 7, verse 1, Meditator makes it a separate thing. After the vision of the 144,000, I beheld, I looked at this and thought about it, and then he says, and lo, which adds emphasis to it, a great multitude which no man could number. Now look, this is distinct from the 144,000 because there it's 144,000. This is a great multitude that nobody can number. There there's 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Here it's every nation, every people, every tongue. Every, this is a completely different vision now. He's seeing something very different, very distinct from what he had seen early. And it says it's an innumerable multitude. Robes in white, they're saved, obviously. Um, no doubt that's the fruit of the 144,000 preaching throughout the earth. No doubt it's the fruit of the two witnesses seated outside of Jerusalem. No doubt it's the fruit of <clears throat> people that had been witnessed to by their Christian friends before the rapture and the world was shaken all of a sudden when their Christian friends and relatives disappeared. Uh, no doubt it's the fruit of um, the Bibles and the literature and so forth that is left behind. You know, right now we um, have helped to print several thousand Hebrew New Testaments, which I'm hoping will be available for the 144,000, you know, uh, over in the Middle East, and, and people are grabbing them and so forth. Uh, you know, it's interesting, my wife... Christmas, over Christmas, she just kept buying the book of signs, David Jeremiah. Because all of a sudden we disappear, there's a resource. Somebody has something to look at, you know. How many people do you know today that you love? How many relatives that are going to be in this scene, that are going to be gathered out of great tribulation? How many <clears throat> that we know today and we love are going to see us disappear and then come to faith during this time period. How important it is for you and I right now to be sharing what we believe is coming, what we believe about the blood of Jesus Christ, what we believe about eternal destiny. You know, it's so important for us to be clear, even though right now there's probably, you know, great animus towards those things, it's still, it's our responsibility now to be sowing the seeds that are going to be reaped and gathered in during this period of time. So it tells us this group is from, if you look in verse 9, it says from all nations. The Greek says they are from every nation. It's every ethnos. So imagine every ethnicity is in this crowd. Every nation, you know, Iranians, Iraqis, South Americans, you think of any ethnos, any group of people that you have a burden to pray for, some of them are gathered in this scene. Continue to pray for them. Every tribe is like every, and, and then it changes kind of, it's like all tribes or families, 
all people, people groups, all tongues, languages, the idea is they're gathered into this scene and they stood before the Lamb clothed with white robes, palms in their hands. Now, we're going to look at these robes as we go through this chapter. Um, it's, It's stolos, it's stolos, it's kind of stoles, but it speaks of a long robe. These are long white robes. Um, and we get to chapter 19, it tells us the church of Jesus Christ gathered there are clothed in white stolos, these white long robes. And it says there that the white robe is the righteousness of the saints. No doubt it is something that is given by Christ through salvation. So there's nobody standing before this throne that isn't washed in the blood of Jesus. There isn't anybody standing there that deserves it. Everybody standing there has been washed in the blood of the Lamb, palms in their hand, a symbol of rejoicing, victory, Palm Sunday, you think about that. Um, The Feast of Tabernacles, they would use palms because their wilderness wanderings were finally over and they were finally in the land. So some of that, no doubt, is the picture here question I have, you might have, is there palm trees in heaven? Where do they get palms there? I don't know. It's going to be fine with me, however that gets answered. And it says, look in verse 10, and they cry with a loud voice, saying, salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb. Now, one of the interesting things as we go through these scenes in heaven The angels, we're going to see in the next verse, all angels, the angels can sing worthy is the lamb. But they can't sing worthy is the lamb that has washed us in his blood, that has paid for us in his blood, because none of them are redeemed. They they are unfallen. In this verse, it says salvation. Now, when it says to our God, it means ascribed to him. He's the one that produced it. He's the one who lavished it upon us. Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb. The interesting thing is here, these are multitudes, nations, kindred, sung, all of it goes through this. And it says, and they cried with a loud voice is singular. It's, it's interesting to read some of the Puritans on. They say this is this is one voice, complete unity, complete harmony, you know, as one voice, innumerable. And it, it's one voice. And not all different languages, one voice. It's so interesting. Because, uh, you, you know, you sit in church and you hear somebody sitting next to you singing, you're thinking, God bless them. They're probably more sincere than I am, but it sounds like a cat with a truck parked on their tail, you know. Uh, you, you know, it's a, and somebody then somebody's doing something between words, and somebody's screaming "Amen" at a different time. No, here in heaven, there's one voice because they're so impressed with the one who's provided their salvation. In verse nine, all the angels are worshiping. If all angels, you know, in verse five it says many, a multitude of angels. Here it says all of them are worshiping, and they're unfallen. And if they're worshiping, how much more those, in verse 10, that are washed in the blood 
should be worshiping with a much deeper, by the way, sense of why we're saying the things that we're saying. Verse 11 says this, And all of the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four living ones. And it says, And they fell before the throne on their faces, and they worshipped God. Now, this is a big crowd. It's an innumerable multitude of people that can't be counted. It's all of the angels. It tells us in chapter 5 that's myriads, mere 10,000 times 10,000, thousands, millions of angels, millions of people, maybe billions. This is a big crowd. You know, some people say, well, I don't come to church because it got too big. I don't come to church because there's too many people there. I don't come to church because it's no longer a small group. You ain't going to be happy in heaven unless you get over it. You know, the Lord opens the door through his blood and everybody's there. There's innumerable multitude from every ethnos. You better get over racism. Every ethnos, every people, every tribe are there in, 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 in uncountable number and all of the angels. And there's kind of one voice, in, you know, from the men and women that are redeemed being raised. And then the angels, it seems here, they all fall down when they hear that. Verse 12 tells us what the angels are saying. Look, it says, saying, now, interesting, it starts with an amen. Usually when you're done, you say amen. But what goes on there, you know, it's like you don't say grace before dinner. I guess it depends on who's cooking. Um, Some people need to say grace before dinner uh, and after dinner. You know, usually it's just before. Here, there's an amen before and an amen after, and this is the angels so overwhelmed by how they start and how they end, saying amen. Now, if you read through this, it says blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. Isn't it interesting the angels say, be unto our God forever and ever. They're the angels God. But every word here has a definite article in front of it. So what the angels say is this. Amen. The blessing and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the honor and the might and the power be unto our God. The idea is when they say that, the definite article makes it all blessing. All blessing. There's none anywhere else. All blessing to and from our God, all glory. Oh, here there's, you know, you look at men who are rich and powerful and women, sometimes they they try to get in the limelight. No, no, no. Here in heaven, it's recognized all the glory, the very glory, all glory. The angels say they're not confused, belong to him, all glory. Wisdom, Jesus Christ, salvation, the wisdom of God, all wisdom consummated, standing in front of them, the wisdom, the thanksgiving, all thanksgiving. You know, there in that scene, there's nothing else that anybody wants to say thank you for than the fact if you're human, you're washing the blood. You have on white robes, which are the righteousness of Christ. 
you don't belong there, you don't deserve to be there, you ain't worthy of being there, but the blood of the Lamb, salvation unto her God and to the Lamb that's before his throne, all thanksgiving, it says, all honor, you know, he's not going to share honor or glory with anybody else, all honor, it says, all power, dunamis, all power is there, and all might, all strength. There's no strength anywhere else. So as you go through on your own, you read this, each one has the definite article before all of these things, and the angels are acknowledging in each one all of this, all of this, all of this belongs to him. And then he said, and one of the elders answered, saying unto me, what... um, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? So this elder, King James says answered. The idea is he knows, this is rhetorical, John is standing there looking at the scene overwhelmed. These multitudes, angels, and these multitudes of every tribe, every kindred, every child, and John's looking at it. It's not the church because the church had already been caught up to heaven. And the elder, he recognizes the elders now, says to him, answers, but he answers the question in John's heart. What are these and where do they come from? Look, and we're going to hear, these are they that are coming out of great tribulation. They, They are a distinct group, but the question is asked to John. Now, The answer, verses 14 to 17, to this question the elder puts to John, takes up the rest of the chapter as we look into this. So one of the elders asked him, what are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Look, this incredible scene, there's never a spectacular or miraculous demonstration by the Lord in earth or in heaven that's supposed to just stagger and surprise us. Each time it's supposed to convey a truth. It's supposed to convey something. Uh, Even it says Jesus did signs. Each one of his healings were to convey something, not just to satisfy curiosity, not just to stagger people and shock them. He he says, what are these, John, that are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Well, in chapter 5, he saw the church. Who is this group, John's thinking? Where are they from? And I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. Now, I don't know if he's thinking about Ezekiel, of course, when God shows Ezekiel the valley of dry bones. He said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Because Ezekiel had seen so many strange things in his ministry up to then, he realized, I'm not going to try to answer these questions anymore. You know, Lord. And John, no doubt thinking here when he gets asked by one of the elders in heaven, who were these and where are they from? The smartest answer is to give the answer Ezekiel did. I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, now, here's the answer, these are they 
which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are they. Um, Again, how many of them do you know? These are they. Which, you know, King James says, which came out of great tribulation. Kind of makes you wonder, well, where where does this scene happen there with John then? More properly, it's these are they which come out of. It hasn't happened yet. None of these people have been martyred yet. John is looking into the future. He's carried there. These are people, the answer is, which come out of. Some of the grammarists tell us the way this is written. These are those who are coming out of. Uh, These are the coming out ones from Great Tribulation. The idea is, as John is looking at the scene, this is where they're coming from. So, um, place between the sixth and seventh seal, how broad is the picture, we don't know. Uh, Certainly, there's great martyrdom in the first half, great martyrdom in the second half. But as John looks at them, they're not the church. This is not the millennium. These are those Jew and Gentile who have been saved and are being saved through the 144,000, the two witnesses, the literature, that you know, all of the testimony. And these are they who are coming out of. Who's this great crowd? He says they're in the process. This is those, as you're looking at it, the idea is they are in the process of coming out of great Tribulation, And in fact, it's the tribulation, the great in the, the, the language. So interesting picture. That's their origin. These are those who get saved during the tribulation period. And then he says this. They have washed their robes, the stolos again. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. When did you ever wash anything in blood and make it white? Now, you know how it is when you're when you're going somewhere and you you drop tomato sauce on your shirt when you're supposed to be somewhere, or you get a bloody nose and it drops right on your shirt. Uh, I remember Chuck Smith one of the times when he was up here, we were eating uh, and he had this beige turtleneck on. It was light and a sports jacket. He was going to dedicate the building that night or something, and he dropped this big drop of gravy right on his stomach. It was right. It was too high to cover with a sports jacket. He said, "I'll be back." And he, he went into the, the, the restroom, came back in. It was, I said, Chuck, would you wash it? I didn't wash it. He said, I turned it around. The thought was on his back. You know, uh, Warren Wiersbe used to always wear this. He said he wore this very wide, multicolored tie because he said, then wherever I am, whatever spills on it, you don't see it because they're all these different colors. You know, when do you ever take something white? When do you get something white when you wash it in blood? The interesting thing here, it says lukos, the word. And it doesn't just mean white. It means shining. It means glistening. Their robes, which no doubt were sin-stained, all righteousness of their own was filthy rags. And washing those filthy rags in the blood of the Lamb turns them red from the blood of the lamb, but that red blood 
starts to produce leucos, glistening, shining, pure white light that comes from it. And it's just this remarkable, remarkable picture of this innumerable multitude. It can't be counted. And as far as you can see, these robes, long white robes, are glistening and shining light, leucos. And he says that that's from being washed in blood. Isn't that amazing? That's from being washed in blood. You and I go through the same thing. You know, the Bible tells us all of our righteousness is filthy rags. And uh, we think, how can we ever be what we're supposed to be? We don't measure up. You spend your Christian experience thinking, I need to grow. I need to be deeper here. I need to understand this more. I need to pray more. I need to read more. I need to repent more. I need to change. I'm still not like Jesus. And in that whole process, we need to remember that the righteousness that we have is righteousness that's been provided because we've been washed in the blood. And it produces something pure and bright and glistening that could never be of our human nature. Never. And it says here, who are they? And he says, these are they which are coming out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, are they before the throne? The idea is because they've washed them in the blood of the Lamb, the only way anybody can stand there. Therefore, are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. So these are they that have washed their their sins away in the blood of the Lamb. That's the reason they're able to stand before the throne of God. No other reason. No one's standing there that's unwashed. It's impossible. Therefore are they before the throne of God, Interesting, it says, and they serve him day and night in his temple. So several things there. Um, It tells us in Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, there's no night in the eternal state. In the new city, Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven. Tells us in chapter 21 that, (laughs) that there's no temple there. The Lord God and the Lamb are the temple of it. So... These are serving, and that's the word in the Old Testament, the the Septuagint translation that's most often used for Levites and priests that are serving. They They are serving in a priestly way, it says, day and night in the temple. That has to be speaking about the millennium. You know, that has to be speaking about the thousand-year reign of Christ. That, that's who these are. These are, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what they're going to do, and this is how they're going to serve. They'll have this priestly ministry, and, and it's going to be day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Now, look, it's going to give us some really interesting pictures here. Again, I think, how many of these people do we know? Right now, how many of these people do we know? Right now, how often is the Holy Spirit telling me, 
Joe, it's not enough just to go to church and to preach on Sunday or Wednesday. Witness to this person. I want you to talk to this person. I don't want you to be ashamed of the gospel. I want you to open your mouth. How many do we know? This hasn't happened yet. They haven't been martyred yet. John's seeing ahead. And and this could be, look, this could be a year from now. The the rapture happens today. Antichrist on the scene, seven-year treaty with Israel, deception begins. How fast will this take place? This could be two years from now. How many do we know that are going to be in this multitude, innumerable? But this is the difficult way to come. This is going through the tribulation and being martyred and coming out. No doubt some will die from the the wars, the different things that go on. But it tells us in chapter 20, there's a multitude that were beheaded because they refused to bow to the Antichrist. How many do we know that are in the scene And then how does the Holy Spirit speak to my heart about the testimony I need to be in their lives right now? But those that come out of great tribulation, you know, God's not done. You know, it's almost like, again, I think the Lord, yeah, his wrath, but there's mercy. Yes, there has to be just judgment of the world, but he, he backs off and takes us into chapter 7 and says, but understand this, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. You know, the two prophets are going to be outside of Jerusalem. And the Great Awakening, you think you know what a Great Awakening is? Let me show you what a Great Awakening is when my love is demonstrated right in the middle of the tribulation. Right in the, in the, the, the greatest tribulation the world has ever seen, whereas if it wouldn't end, there'd be no flesh left alive in the middle of the most horrendous things the world has ever seen, there is also the the greatest demonstration of conversion in my love and salvation that human history has ever seen or ever will see. It's almost like, you know, he stands back. Yes, his justice and his wrath, which are, are not tempered with venom. He's not losing his temper it's it's just in the way it comes. We're going to hear the angels say that as we go through Revelation. But with him, it's always in the context of the mercy that he would have, always in the context of the love that he would demonstrate, always in the context of the fact that he so loved the world that he's judging that he gave his only begotten son. And here it says some remarkable things. They're going to be in the temple day and night. They're going to serve him in a priestly way, serving, ministering. Uh, And it says, and he that sat on the throne, now it's going to tell us a number of things here. First it says, shall dwell among them. Uh, The interesting thing, literally it says, and certainly more common in this culture, he's going to cast his tent over them. Very interesting, skino, where we get skin, epi, upon, autos, it's that he's going to cast his tent over them. You know, what a remarkable phrase in the Old Testament, you know, maybe his shekinah, his covering, his protection. These now are his, and he's going to, says he's going to dwell among them. No, he's going to cast his covering over them. They're his. 
What a picture. What an amazing picture. He's, he's going to dwell among them. Then it says this, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. They're not going to hunger anymore. Look, during this period, we know that there's famine. Told us that in, in chapter 6. We know from chapter 13, verse 17, you can't buy or sell or get a job unless you receive the mark of the beast. We know that water is turned to blood and rivers and, and freshwater sources are poisoned. There's wormwood. We hear these descriptions of things that take place. Uh, dramatic things happen with the sun and no doubt the ozone layer and, you know, Revelation 16 burning up. So it's, it says that's not going to happen. Look, these are those who, during the tribulation, at the stake of their life, turned away from father, mother, home, sustenance, food, water, you know, care. They turned away from all of that for the sake of Christ, and it cost them their life one way or another. And then John describes heaven in the negative. Very interesting. He describes heaven in the negative in this sense. He tells us what's not going to be there. Hunger. Thirst. Pain. Sorrow. In other words, you've done without these things to serve me. You've done without family, possibly. You've done without sustenance the way other people have sought it. You've done without food and water. You've done, you know, without comfort. There's tears in this. And he says, now you're going to do without things in heaven, without hunger, without thirst, without sorrow. Sounds good, doesn't it? No betrayal, no brokenheartedness. What an interesting picture he's putting here before us. They shall hunger no more. It's kind of a double negative, an oime in the structure here. Uh, they shall never, ever hunger again, never, ever thirst. And it is interesting, one of the Puritans I read said, you know, think of the things that men thirst for now, pleasure, money, power, you know, and so forth. And for you and I, it's something different. And, and then when we call, get caught into his presence, we will always thirst for his presence. It says in the ages to come, he's still going to be revealing his mercy and his grace to us. He'll be an eternal, will always be being conformed to and yet never arising, arriving at, at the this full stature of the Son of God because he's infinite, we're finite. And there'll always be this wonderful thirst that is satisfied. No more thirst there like the thirst of things emotionally, Mentally, certainly physically, the suffering on earth, no more hunger, neither thirst anymore, neither shall the sun light on them, again, the scenes through the book of Revelation, nor any heat. And then it says, for, which your translation hopefully says, because, the reason why all this will have changed, it says, for the Lamb which is in the midst 
of the throne shall feed Poinei, the, the, shall shepherd them and lead them unto living fountains of water. Isn't that an interesting picture? The lamb shall shepherd. It was a contradiction, paradoxical, you know. You know, washing your robes in blood, turning them white. There's a paradox there. Here it tells us the lamb shall shepherd. And one thing you think about, you know, I'm glad we have this Steve and Carissa here working with us in missions because they were missionaries. They were out on the field. They know what it feels like to be out there, to be encouraged, to hear something from home. Um, here, who better to be led for all eternity as a flock than by a sheep? Who, who better to lead us than a lamb as you and I are going, bah, bah, you know, who better? It, it, you know, Hebrews says the same thing, that we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with our infirmities, but he was in every way tempted as we are, yet without sin. And here, the amazing pictures, he comes to the end of this chapter, he says, we're going to be shepherded, those who are taken out of great tribulation, those who are raptured before, you know, as eternity goes on, we're shepherded by a lamb. And I think, I'm glad he's all powerful, seven horns, seven eyes, all knowing. Uh, it's his favorite name through the book of Revelation for himself. 28 times he calls himself the lamb of God. But it's almost like he says to us, look, I understand hunger, thirst, you've been led astray, you've suffered, you've gone through difficult things. But understand the final analysis, when that's over, you're going to be led, shepherded, your shepherd's going to be a lamb. What, what an incredible picture. My shepherd in eternity is going to be a lamb. You know, uh, it's something in my heart that I look at and I think, Lord, this is you. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest, you know. The lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed, shall shepherd them and lead them, guide them unto living fountains of water. We see in Ezekiel 48, we see in um, 47, we see in... Uh, Revelation 22 there, the, the water of life, something that the Lord leads us to, this place of complete satisfaction. The lamb who is in the midst of the throne shall shepherd them and shall guide them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I think it's in the sense, you know, no tears in heaven in the sense that I can't imagine weeping about anything there, but we bring those tears with us, certainly, and particularly those coming out of great tribulation. Upon arrival, God takes all of the consternation and torment and pain away from us. Look. Here, um, here it says we're without the camp. That's our journey, like Christ. We don't belong here. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're journeying through. You know, 
Cain, when he sinned, the Lord put a mark on him, said, now I'm going to be a fugitive and a vagabond. A fugitive is somebody who's fleeing from home. A vagabond is somebody without a home. We're not fugitives and vagabonds. It says we're strangers and pilgrims. We're foreigners. We're strangers. That means we have a home, and pilgrims means we are headed home. Vastly different. Here in our present existence, we're without the camp where Christ was. We don't fit. We don't belong. But in this scene there, we're within the gates. Vastly different. Vastly different. So for you and I now, we look forward to the rapture of the church. I do. The blessed hope is not going through the tribulation. The blessed hope is being caught up to be with the Lord, his bride, his church, the church of the firstborn. But because of who he is, such as you and I can be washed and come into heaven, that opens the door for everybody. And during the great tribulation, there is the great awakening. And his mercy is demonstrated maybe in a way that has never been seen before. And multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes are gathered in. And they wash their robes in blood, which makes them glisten and sparkle and turn white. And they're led there, not by a shepherd, but by a lamb. And there's no more hunger or thirst for any of the things that we hunger and thirst for emotionally, mentally, physically in this world. No more. That that gnawing is gone. And heaven in negative terms is described as no hunger, no thirst, no tears, no sorrow, no sin, no guilt. Just imagine what's going to take place. So look. When we go into chapter 8, you're going to be glad chapter 7 was here. You know, kind of lifts us up, we get some encouragement, and we're going to dive back in if the Lord tarries uh, next week. Great guys, uh, drive carefully as you get home, but, you know, our sins, though they'll be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. There's a good lesson out there today in the midst of all of this. But let's uh, let's stand, let's pray. Thank you for your steadfastness and determination and commitment and uh, (coughs) lunacy, whatever caused you to come out. Father, we thank you for these things, Lord. And this scene is just, Lord, unfathomable in some ways. Just we we dig through it, we look at it, it speaks to us, Lord, no doubt. We're to, to carry it in our heart and wonder at these things and become familiar with them and Realize these are things that have not happened yet. These martyrs have not been martyred yet. And Lord, remind us, we may know many of them, Lord, today, now. Father, by the power of your spirit, let the love of Christ be shed abroad from our hearts in this lost and hopeless world. Give us boldness, Lord, to more, with more determination to share the gospel, Lord, with this lost world. And, Lord, you have placed such things, Lord. We thirst for them, Lord, the blessed hope, the scenes in heaven, the holy city, eternity in your presence, Lord.
Thank you for those things in the midst of the insanity we live in, Lord. Thank you for lifting our hearts and our attention, our our intellects above and beyond everything in the present earthly world that surrounds us. We love you, Father. We look forward to seeing you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.